Welcome to another episode of New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. I am Kevin McDonald, an executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. And today is Sunday, May 30th, 2021. We hope you are all enjoying a fantabulous Memorial Day weekend, enjoying some good weather and uh, the opportunity to get out and about a little more than we obviously have recently. We are so glad to have you back for another episode. We've got some great content for you, and we're going to kick things off with an interview we did this past week on the show, really looking at an issue that uh, is affecting so many people and really has throughout the pandemic, and that is mental health. And May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so what better way to round out this month than to look at some of these efforts which are really focused on tribal communities in and across New Mexico. Our correspondent, Antonia Gonzalez, got some folks together to discuss this, including a representative from the New Mexico Department of Indian Affairs. And of course, we know COVID has hit the native communities in New Mexico especially hard, and that includes behavioral health, where there are we're already shortages and a lack of resources even before the pandemic. And so this is really important information and some valuable information about how you can get help if that is something you find yourself in need of and also about sort of destroying the stigma around mental health and asking for help with these situations. So here now, correspondent Antonia Gonzalez. Eldred, Alicia, and Teresa, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. Thank you for having us. And Teresa, Honoring Native Life and Indian Affairs has been hosting virtual trainings. What are some of the things that you've been hearing about mental health and tribal communities during the pandemic? We've we've actually been hearing a lot and, and, and really appreciative of the uh, collaboration with New Mexico Indian Affairs. We know that the um, pandemic has disproportionately affected um, American Indians and our tribal nations. And so we've been working very closely to ensure that we're um, doing the training that's necessary and uh, putting out messaging to help um, our com tribal communities through this uh, pandemic. But we're, we do see, hear about a lot of um, increased anxiety, increased depression, um, some um, spikes in, in uh, suicide rates um, that, we're, that, we're, that we're hearing about. So we're trying to address many of those issues. Um, and Eldred, anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think just all of us, you know, from a personal standpoint to a professional standpoint, we feel, you know, this this um, this absence of community, this absence of really coming together as, as tribal peoples. And I think that really has kept a lot of us in isolation, has led to increases in what Teresa had just mentioned, uh, a lot of those mental health challenges. And really from tribal perspective, tribal leadership to tribal youth, we've been hearing this, um, the need for more behavioral and mental health resources and services on and off um, tribal reservations. And so the Indian Affairs Department is just so happy to collaborate with not only Honoring Native Life, but also our newly established Indigenous Youth Council. And what are some of those challenges? Can you expand on that a little bit? We know in rural areas, uh, there's a lack of internet service. There's also access to, or lack of access to healthcare. Um, there's even a lot of um, different issues when it comes to addressing 
mental health itself. So what are some of those challenges? Yes, so the one of the major challenges was, of course, the limited access to broadband uh, capabilities. So when the world was closing down, when New Mexico was closing, uh, a lot of our tribal communities, you know, everything was moving towards telehealth. And a lot of our tribal communities, some of the most rural, did not have those capacities, uh, capabilities, even to, to, to today. Um, there's been a lot of progress, definitely, from the state of New Mexico to help that. But that's really what happened. And even prior to the pandemic itself, uh, tribal communities had very limited amount of behavioral health providers, whether that be counselors, therapists, psychiatrists, et cetera. And so really uh, what the Indian Affairs Department here is doing now is really to focus on that community input to figure out um, many of those challenges. Additionally to those broadband challenges, you also have stigma, uh, stigma within tribal communities, but in just general about mental health and behavioral health and trying to just destigmatize the whole notion that you can ask for help. And Alicia, with the Youth Council, one of the recommendations to the state was the need to address mental health among young people across New Mexico. Talk a little bit about why the Youth Council sees this as a big need. Yes, so in the conversations we've had um, with our tribal youth in New Mexico, we certainly saw the priority uh, to you know, increase mental health wellness. We've seen you know, with the closure of, you know, things across the state and as well as within our own communities, the, you know, I believe like the, um, you know, the absence of ceremony has also been a damper within our communities. And, you know, although we still maintain our spiritual connection, that was one of the, the main ways to practice. And so we discussed, you know, how, the pandemic has taken a toll on on youth uh, primarily, you know, especially with, um, as Eldred mentioned, the move to um, telecommunications, whether, uh, especially in the terms of education. And so seeing how our um, youth have been moved online and, you know, a lot of the experiences that they've, um, they've had or expressed was that, um, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities when staying at home you know, taking care of um, older family members or even younger siblings and other relatives. Um, and we wanted to make sure that we provided that uh, space for support for them and to ensure that they are, um, you know, feeling like they have resources to look to. Um, and, you know, although this year has been very challenging for our communities, uh, we feel that it's important to recognize that spirit of resiliency and community uh, for our young people. And so that's why uh, we banded together as the Indigenous Youth Council with uh, the New Mexico State Indian Affairs Department to help create uh, spaces for that. And Teresa, it was mentioned earlier a little bit about um, the stigma surrounding talking about these issues, um, even they're just tough topics to talk about or if it's any kind of taboo and how mistrust of maybe even getting professional help expand on how culturally sensitive topics like this are addressed through honoring Native life. Well, and, and thank, you for, uh, thank you for the question. And, and honoring Native life was um, born out of a um, state uh, legislatively created uh, 
Clearinghouse for Native American Suicide Prevention, and that was enacted in 2011. And it was really an effort um, from the Indian Affairs Department um, and um, the Behavioral Health Collaborative that came together to address uh, suicide clusters in, a couple, in several uh, tribal communities. And um, it really was created with the intent to provide um, culturally relevant, culturally appropriate um, suicide prevention um, efforts. Soon after the um, legislation was enacted, we, the, the um, founding group came together and we, we talked about the name Suicide Prevention Clearinghouse. And that's what, how Honoring Native Life um, was born out of that rather than focusing on the suicide that we would focus on um, some positive aspects and at the same time in, ensure that we were engaging in suicide prevention um, strategies. And so how can people approach talking about mental health, um, well-being, and being culturally sensitive, either, if it's for them, you know, for them personally, or for maybe friends or family members? Yes, the, um, we, I think society in general needs to talk about mental health in a different way. When we think about physical health, we think about, um, you know, someone diagnosed with cancer, or maybe somebody has a broken leg, um, we tend to, to lean into um, attending to those um, individuals' needs. But when we are talking about mental health and mental health and, and uh, mental illness is just like a physical illness. It's a, it's a brain disorder in some cases. It's um, a, a number of things, but we don't talk about physical health and mental health in the same, in the same way. We also know that by not talking about it, um, I know in a, in a lot of tribal communities, um, the issue is um, taboo, but even if we don't talk about it, it's still occurring. We, we still see high rates of anxiety, depression, um, and we know that for American Indians across the country, that suicide um, is, is, a, is a exa it's exa exacerbating. And so um, we, we need to be talking about this and we need to remember that mental health is health and it's not separate. It's not separate from our, our whole being. And Eldred, Alicia talked a little bit about youth and how the pandemic is impacting youth. Um, you know, elders are also a really key part of tribal communities across the state. How are tribes and how is this uh, Indian Affairs Department helping ensure that elders are also being taken care of? Yeah, thank you for that question. So with the Indian Affairs Department at the moment, we're actually leading uh, one week out of the state's mental, mental health awareness month. And so every week there's a theme and this week is elders and tribal communities. So not just elders and tribal communities, but elders across our state uh, to honor their resilience as well as their leadership. And so in the Mexico Indian Affairs Department, uh, we understand and know that you know, mental health, behavioral health, it's holistic, but also intergenerational. And so the work that we do with our youth, it'll really connect and hopefully be that catalyst to um, tackle community wellness or in the sense of better, ameliorate the community wellness in our tribal communities. So with that, um, we also partner with our state agency, um, Aging and Long-Term Services de Department, to be able to provide those resources continually 
uh, to our eldest and most uh, respected members of our communities. What kind of resources is the Indian Affairs Department looking for for mental health and behavioral health issues um, from the state of New Mexico? Yeah, great question. So for the Indian Affairs Department, we're really rooted in community input. Um, we're learning more and more how pivotal our position is as a department within uh, the state's overall um, behavioral health ecosystem. And so one of the arms that we do have within the department is to work with the Native American Subcommittee, um, which you know, brings together all different types, all communities within New Mexico, uh, all tribal nations. And those resources that we do provide, and not only to provide them community, but also to get that feedback into what they're moving forward. Some of the ideas that we have on the forefront, in addition to this Youth Wellness Summit, uh, are to look at uh, broadband capabilities, how to better that, how to bolster our behavioral health providers within our tribal communities, uh, other resources in terms of uh, healthcare lines or mental health uh, helplines, such as warm lines or hotlines. In addition to that as well, just getting out materials. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we partnered with uh, the Human Services Department and within their Behavioral Health Services Division with artist Ricardo Cate from Kiwa Pueblo, and we were able to put out a youth um, mental health COVID-19 coloring book. And so from there, it was really to um, help the youth be able to connect with their family members, all the way from parents to grandparents, and talk about um, some of these difficulties that we're facing at this time. And Alicia, the youth, there's a tribal youth wellness summit in June. Indigenous knowledge is going to be focused on for healing and responding to COVID-19. And talk a little bit about why indigenous knowledge is such a key important part of tribal communities. Yes. So in terms of, you know, indigenous knowledge being integral to the focus of this youth wellness summit. Uh, we feel that, you know, health, um, as Teresa has explained, is, um, you know, multi-level. It encompasses physical, um, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. And so um, within that, it's, you know, it contains all of these. And so we want to make sure that we are following what we know to be true in our communities of, you know, being holistic. And, uh, you know, within that, it's uh, collaborating with so many different resources amongst the state, especially utilizing Honoring Native Life's platform and their knowledge um, to help contribute to that. And also, you know, maintaining that cultural uh, respect um, for all of our communities. And Teresa, where can people go or how can they find information? Um, what do they do if they think they're in need of some resources? There's, there's quite a few um, access, uh, crisis and access lines um, that, that are available, uh, text lines, crisis text lines. And I just heard of a new initiative coming out of uh, Northwest Portland area um, Indian Health Board where um, individuals can try uh, text 741-741 and within that text, write the word native and um, then can be connected with someone um, who's familiar with uh, tribal nations and responding to those crises. But there's uh, quite a few uh, text lines and uh, phone lines that people can call um, to get help, especially if they're in crisis or if they just need someone to talk to. 
Well, thank you all so much for joining us here today on New Mexico PBS, Eldred, Alicia, and Teresa. Thank you so much. A couple of years ago on our environmental series, Our Land, we had the pleasure to uh, find out and get up and close and personal with some students here in Albuquerque, high school students who part of the Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Program. This has been a long-running program where these students go out into the Bosque several times a year and collect, a data, collect data on all sorts of information from water levels to wildlife, and then government agencies actually use that information and so this is a hands-on way to really get these folks into the science field and get some hands-on experience. It's a great program. We're going to put a link to that original piece in the show description if you want to check that out. It's definitely worth the watch. But we recently learned, our correspondent Laura Paskis from Our Land recently learned that some of their funding had been cut because the government programs that helped to fund it had their funding cut. And so we worried about the... Um, strength of this program with these funding cuts. The good news is, as you will hear in this interview, that BEMP, as it is called, is not going anywhere. But without some help, some funds, the program will definitely be scaled back. And this longstanding, really valuable program will be impacted for sure. So we wanted to find out what the BEMP folks are doing to try to find those extra dollars and keep this thing up and running. And uh, so we wanted to bring you this update. Again, if you're interested in our original report on what exactly BEMP is and how it works, just find that link here in the show description. But here now, again, correspondent Laura Paskus. Greg Dyson, welcome to New Mexico in Focus. The Bosque Ecosystem Monitoring Program, it's a 20-year-old program. Students collect data from the Rio Grande, everything from groundwater levels to leaf litter. Can you briefly tell us a little bit who are these students and who are the scientists who rely upon this data? Yeah, hi, Laura, thanks for having me. Um, the students um, are from all over the state, actually. I mean, the, the majority are from Bernalillo County. Uh, we do a lot with Albuquerque Public Schools and we're based at Bosque School, the, the private school uh, right along the Rio Grande. And um, we take kindergartners through 12th graders out to the Bosque and they collect the scientific data which ranges from uh, the depth of groundwater to litter fall to um, the precipitation amounts. Um, and um, all types of agencies and government bodies use the data. It ranges from uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, Fish and Wildlife Service, um, Bernalillo County, City of Albuquerque, Valencia, uh, Soil and Water Conservation District, the Middle Rio Grande, Cons uh, MRGCD, uh, Middle Rio Grande Conservation District. Um, so, and, and that's just a partial list, um, but all types of folks use our data for the management of the Middle Rio Grande. And it looks like you have funding from a variety of different sources, but the bulk of your funding comes from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and it sounds like that's changing. Can you talk a little bit about what's happening and, and why that's happening? Yeah, yeah, we've had a long-standing relationship with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. They funded them 
pretty um, generous generously over the years. And it's through the, um, uh, there's lots of acronyms uh, in this business. Um, it's the M-R-G-E-C-E-S-C-P, the Middle Rio Grande Endangered Species um, Collaborative Program. <laughs> and uh, the what's happened is that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers funding for this program has been cut dramatically because their budget has been cut dramatically. So they're making cuts all over the place. And this um, this collaborative program is really feeling it. And we got our funding through that, and through the US Army Corps of Engineers is about two thirds of our budget. And we're in the last year of that. So um, the last, with the next federal fiscal year, October 1st, we will, we're looking at a two thirds cut in our budget. So what kinds of impacts will that have on students, on the monitoring, on the data that you're able to collect? Well, we are, we are, um, we have lots of feelers out for getting funding back from, from other agencies and, and government bodies um, and are very hopeful that we can make up at least a big part of that. And, but we're also doing a worst case scenario planning. Right now we have 33 active sites along the middle Rio Grande and we would go down to 10 uh, in a worst case scenario. And instead of reaching you know, 10,000 students a year, would be more like a, a one, 1,000 or two, 2,000 at the most. So it's pretty, pretty major cut. We're currently not replacing staff to leave. Um, so we're, we're kind of gearing up for a worst case scenario, but also very helpful for the best. So this is a critical time, the last year, not just for students who are, um, and teachers who are having to deal with the pandemic and all the changes that has wrought across our educational systems, but also the Rio Grande, um, you know, climate change, drought, changes to the river and the bosque. Um, what does this loss mean for, for, for lots of different people? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the saddest, um, the saddest impact is with the students who, you know, we're really looking forward to getting back in the field with them uh, come, come the fall semester. And we would have to cut back dramatically. And the data is, it's, it's sad to lose a year of data for those sites we'd have to drop. But we wouldn't drop them, we'd, we'd set them aside until our funding came back up. Um, we wouldn't close them permanently. Um, but I think the real impact is with the students who, I mean, it's, it's getting out in the field and learning to be a young scientist is a unique opportunity. And um, we don't merely do field trips. We take students out and we show them how to collect uh, scientifically sound data. And the number of examples of students who, who go on to say, you know, the biology, the UNM biology uh, program uh, I mean, it's it's really just exciting to see students kind of think, wow, I, I can be a scientist. Yeah, we did a show in 2017 where we went out with um, students and, and BEMP uh, staffers, and we had a really great time and really saw that firsthand of the students' excitement. But also I've heard from many scientists and researchers over the years how they use this data. And certainly as the Rio Grande is changing, to have this data set really seems um, really seems pretty critical. So what will happen if we miss out on monitoring sites, if there's time gaps in some of this monitoring? How does that affect people? Well, I mean, you can, one of the, one of the data sets that, that I enjoy talking about is, our de is depth to groundwater. So 
everyone's familiar with the cottonwoods along the Boscaine. Cottonwoods generally uh, will only, their roots will go down about three meters uh, in order to, to find water. And um, having that, losing a year of data on what's happening with the, with the groundwater level is really important for us to be able to know what's happening with the cottonwoods in the bosque. And, um, you know, that's, these are long-term data sets. So we're, the sky is not falling if we have to set some data sets aside for a year um, yet. Uh, the continuity, we're, we're actually approaching closer to 25 years of, of data with a lot of these data sets. And the, the continuity is one of the things that makes these data sets so special. Yeah, this seems like some bad timing all around, given the challenges that we yeah. face on the Rio Grande. Is there anything that people can do at this point? Well, I think um, we the, one of the great things about this whole situation is that reaching out to our partners, we've informed all our partners of our funding situation, and everyone has been so supportive. And um, we just need that support to turn into actual funding. Uh, of course, and, and anyone can donate to BAMP anytime. I think it's also great to let your elected officials know how much BAMP means to the community. Um, um, that, that has the biggest impact, I think, of anything. All right. Well, Greg Dyson, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Laura. Got a lot of great things for you already in store for next week on New Mexico in Focus. And we want to remind you that Tuesday is election day. For those of you who can vote in the special election for the first congressional district race to replace Deb Holland in Congress. So please get out and vote if you haven't already. We'll have a full wrap up of that. We are also looking into several other issues, and we'll have a really cool interview with Dean Hansen, a photo editor at the Albuquerque Journal, who is calling it a career after several decades working here in Albuquerque. And always great and fascinating to talk to, especially photojournalists, about how they go about storytelling, such an important piece of the journalism landscape here in New Mexico. So we're looking forward to that, and we encourage you to join us for that as well. But until then, we hope you stay safe and you stay healthy and we'll talk at you again soon.